Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Good morning. Today is the day. This is the second hour of Mornings with Carmen on this 20th day of November. Um, It's Wednesday, so it's hump day. And so uh, we're also one week away from Thanksgiving. And I just want to lift up this uh, attitude of gratitude. Let us be people of genuine Thanksgiving. Let us be people who live in the world that God so loves um, in a way that's winsome and draws people unto him, we, we ought to be the gratitude people. Like we ought to be the people whose lives are marked with thanksgiving. Um, because even in the midst of life circumstances that seem to be contrary to blessing, right, we are people who are blessed. We're blessed. We are blessed in, with every spiritual blessing in Jesus Christ in the heavenly realms. And so... Um, if you are tempted to believe the lie that there's not enough, um, that you know that God is insufficient, that uh, that somehow the pie is uh, that it, it, it is fixed and you're not getting a piece, okay. God is a God of abundance, and and Jesus Christ came not just that we might have life, like physical life or even life eternal, but Zoe, life abundant, a life in God, a life with God, a life lived um, on behalf of God's kingdom advancement. Christ came that, that we might have life and have it to the full abundantly. And so in the season of Thanksgiving, let us, you know, let us be cultivating an attitude of gratitude, um, a mindset of abundance. People, lots of people living in the rut of what I'll just call a scarcity mentality, um, and it's, it's, a, it's an abundant creation and it's an abundant redemptive narrative and it's an abundant gospel. Um, and there's room for everybody and everybody is invited in. And so let us be the invitational Thanksgiving people in this week of Thanksgiving. And let us be very, very mindful that we live in this, in the midst of t- tremendous blessing because we enjoy every spiritual blessing every spiritual blessing in Jesus Christ. Uh, and so, you know, when, when you're making your um, counter blessings list, be sure to include all the spiritual blessings that are stored up for you in heaven. All right. Uh, Bill English is in the house from BibleandBusiness.com. He and I are going to talk about the pursuit of our passions and how we are fulfilled and the place of work, the right place of work in all of that. So that's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. from BibleandBusiness.com is back again today. Bill, welcome back. Hey, thanks. Good to be back. 
It's good to it's good to talk with you. It is. So, um, Peter Kapser and I were just talking about the way young people feel about getting married and having babies. Their their sense of uh, kind of a dystopic future, and therefore maybe there's no need for all of that. They also imagine, um, and this is like what research tells us. There's a Pew Research study released. Um, earlier this year, that says that American high school to American high school students, in terms of their expectations about the future, um, put finding a fulfilling job as three times more important than having a family. Um, so they think that they are going to find their meaning, that they are going to fulfill their purpose, that they are going to be all that they can be by doing something, by a by having a particular occupation or a particular job. Um, and I am I am worried about that. Well, and you should be right. I mean, they grew up getting trophies for doing almost everything, and whether they actually succeeded or not, and um, uh, that is really a big part of our culture today. What you do, right? I mean, this this article that that we're going to reference here, it's in the Harvard Business Review, uh, published on November nineteenth of this year. It's called The Unexpected Benefits of Pursuing a Passion Outside of Work. And uh, this article talks about how work is now a status symbol. The more busy you are, maybe the better uh, title you have, that becomes a status symbol in our culture rather than just a a set of responsibilities that you're fulfilling. That has bubbled down, I think, to the young people, and that's why they're so worried about uh, being successful in their jobs and doing so well. I think life today is kind of exhausting. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I think. <laughs> I mean, right? It is. I, I mean, the expectations not only of of what we are going to do for our employer in the context of, you know, what we might have historically considered regular work hours, whatever those are, um, but all of the expectations that are placed upon us as laborers by other laborers, um, who expect to find their friendships at work, which I, you know, I'm just going to go right here on record and saying, you know, you, you got to be, you got to have friends outside of work. You can't, that can't be the place where you find your fulfillment and your friends um, and the place where you think all the parties are going to happen. I mean, you know, it, your birthday ought to be celebrated by people outside of the office. But, you know, it's interesting that, that you say, I agree with you. I, I think your best friends ought to really probably be outside of work. But it's interesting in Gallup's um, <clears throat> um, engagement materials that they are selling by leaps and bounds to corporate America today, one of the 10 things that they look for in a highly engaged employee is somebody who has really good friends at work, right? I mean, that's that's just what their research has shown. And maybe it's because they become more engaged because they have their friendships at work, so they stay at work longer. They they tend to like their work better. And uh, and what they're actually doing, what Gallup is not looking at, is how that deprives them in their personal life of potentially some good friendships. I, I don't know. If, I don't know if you've ever heard this, but I think, and I, and I honestly don't know if this is right, but I, I tend to think it is. People over thirty or thirty-five tend to only have about two or three really good friends, and we don't have a large group of friends once we start to hit our forties and fifties. We only have a few friends, and that's it. And if those friends are at work, then what do you have outside of work? Would be my question. Well, and increasingly, you know, people are not—they're um, either not married, or they're divorced, or they're not friends with their spouse. 
And so I think that when we talk about primary relationships, we are putting an awfully big weight on work. We are we are expecting work and the work environment to carry the freight of fulfillment, to carry the freight of friendship. Um, and and yet we we know that at, at least my generation and everybody younger than me, you know, we're we're like um, uh, we're like. I don't know, ping pong balls, something that just hops around a lot in terms of work. Like, right. We're not we don't go to work in one place and stay there for 35 or 40 years. No, you're right. We, we do hop around uh, and maybe we do tend to not try to find our friends at work because our experiences at church, because our experiences in community, because our experiences in marriage have just really been disappointing. Um, I have a, a, a friend from high school who called me a couple weeks ago. Out of the blue, I haven't heard from this guy for 40 years. And he and I sat next to each other in band. We both played trumpet. We actually grew up together. We From like first grade through 12th grade, we were together. And he calls me and he says, he says, you know, Bill, I don't have any friends. And I, I, you know, the reason I work so much is because I'm so lonely when I go home. He's been divorced for like 20 years. Good guy. Um, but he goes, I, I, I'm so lonely when I go home. I would rather just work. And so he works uh, one and a half jobs. And, and that's his life. And yet it's killing him. It's just he's, he's literally rotting from the inside because of it. Okay, that um, not only for that individual, but because that is the reality of many people listening right now, they're now thinking to themselves, I I have to figure out how to pursue who I am, my identity and my passion, what on earth I'm on earth to do outside of work, because I am um, I'm not finding that fulfillment at work. And yet I continue to expect that I'm going to uh, when we come back, Bill, let's talk about. Some, some ways that we can find our passion, fulfill our passion, um, pursue our passion is probably the best word. Pursue our passion outside of work. My conversation with Bill English from BibleandBusiness.com continues in just a moment. Okay, continuing my conversation with Bill English from BibleandBusiness.com, we're talking about what we're passionate about, and then where in the world we pursue those passions um, and why pursuing work as the place where we are going to be fulfilled in terms of our passion, that while that may be true for a select few uh, among us, in reality, the pursuit of a passion largely happens outside of work or maybe should happen largely outside of work. So, Bill, let's talk about um, ways to identify our passion and then pursue those passions um, outside of work? Well, the way that I look at it, um, at least how I would do it, is, is to go and say, what do you really care about? What are the things that that you care about? And whether you get paid for it or not, is there a way that you can invest some quality time in it? So that's that's the thing I would look at. I think whatever you care about, it's probably going to have a lot of purpose to it. Purpose that that uh, it fulfills some uh, intrinsic value or some intrinsic goal that you're really after. So you know, passion, purpose, uh, those kinds of things is is what I would be doing outside of work. What do you care about, and then how do you get at it? So here are um, some of the questions that I ask when I'm in a conversation with somebody that's just deeply desiring to um, change their life. Frankly, by by changing their perspective on 
um, on this particular conversation. I ask them what breaks their heart. When you look around the world, when you look around your community, when you look around your home, whatever, you know, where, however wide you want to cast your vision circle here, um, what breaks your heart? And if that is something that also breaks the heart of God, that's your passion. And, and you can, you can then, uh, you know, you then have reason to stay up at night. Like whatever keeps you up at night, um, maybe your passion. And so if I look around and I see a harvest of unrighteousness in the world, um, I can either complain about it or I can grow depressed about it, or I can start tilling the soil and moving the rocks and sowing seeds of peace in order that a generation from now, there will be a different harvest in the culture in which I live. And so um, what what we're passionate about is often easily identified by what breaks our heart. So we actually, um, as a as a staff community, just I don't know, maybe it was just last week. We we actually sat around and talked about what is it that breaks your heart as you you know as identifying a point of passion. People gave all kinds of answers. Not all of those are going to be pursued in the context of our work together. In fact, most of them will not. Um, we are probably uh, you know not going to figure out how to bring an end to human trafficking. But we can elevate ministries that are engaged in that, and we can raise the the, the awareness and the consciousness of our listeners related to that. Um, and we can help people find others who share their passion in order that together they could apply themselves to that particular uh, ministry objective. And so when we when we think about a passion, I'm wondering where or how you think we find other people who share our passion in order that we can get out there and pursue it. Uh, I I think we have to go find ministries, uh, whether it's at church or a parachurch ministry. We have to go find other groups that are already working in these areas, and we go join them. To me, that's how you would do this. Uh, Now, what if you don't have (laughs) – what if there's no ministry out there doing that? Well, then you got to look at whether God's calling you to start a ministry or or some kind of an organization or not. But um, that's how I would do it. I would say, who else is doing this, and can I get on board? Okay, so um, I don't think that's that hard to do. I I tend to see people thinking that they're the first person who's ever thought of it. Uh, I'm the first person that's ever been given this vision to bring an end to this or to start this. And so they then they go and they try to start their own ministry. They start their own nonprofit. They build their own board. They 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 try to aggregate resources, financial and otherwise, around it instead of doing what you just said, which is go find out who already shares the vision. Go find out who you know whom God has already called to this. Um, I mean, I have a point of passion that I'm pursuing outside of work, and I am currently like seeking out other people who are already doing it because I am confident I'm not the first person to have the vision. I'm not the first person, you know, that has like awoken to this concern. Um, And so I need to go and I need to pursue others who already have the vision, who are already actively working in the space, and I need to join them in what they're doing. But that goes against sort of the American... Um, individualism and and the idea that the only reason that it's broken and not working is because I'm not there yet. Mm. Yeah. Right. When people run for office and they're like, I can go fix Washington because everything that is broken about it is just because I'm not there yet. Well, first of all, that's just total egomania. Um, And it and. (laughs) But right. But but we do that, we, we do that in ministry as well. We do. We imagine that the reason that something in the culture is broken is because we, we, the the, the individual I, has not yet shown up to help. 
Um, and that may be part of it, but you need to join in what God is already doing. Well, do we ever look at something that we want to start and envision ourselves failing? No, we always look at something that we want to start, and we, as we run through the future, we're always successful. And that's, that's part of what yes, leads I us do to... Not, I do not plant my garden with the expectation that it will not produce. Yeah. But, but I should. I mean, there's a, I should. Like, I'm, I, you know, in fact, I already know that I am a failure at growing certain things. And so I should stop planting those things. I should just plant the things I'm really good at growing and then go find the people that are good at growing the things I'm not good at growing and trade with them. There you go. Well, that's capitalism. That's the free market. Well, there you go. You know, there, there are people out there, though. I'm sensing that there are people out there going, yeah, pursue a passion. Are you kidding me? I don't have any money. I don't have any time. I get home from work and I'm tired as that's, a dog. That's because we work too much. That's, that's, so we got to get our employers on board with this. And we have to say, you know what? Yeah. I would be a better employee. I would be a happier person here at work if I were a happier person outside of work, which means I have got to have um, a little margin. Um, I got to have some margin so that I can have a life outside of work that uh, that allows me to pursue this thing that I'm passionate about. Uh, and I just think we have to start having those conversations. Productivity would go up at work if people were happier. Well, and there's, you know, my, my challenge to business owners would be, why don't you give the employees eight hours a quarter to go volunteer somewhere? Nice. Give them, like give them a day off every three months and let them go volunteer somewhere. It won't kill you on your payroll versus productivity ratios. It, it, just, it just won't. And, uh, but, but for those who, who are listening to this going, I'm discouraged. I don't have a passion or I don't have the energy to go to pursue a passion uh, my my thought for you and my my encouragement for you is just to go spend time with God and ask Him to build into you a passion that matches the talents and the skills that He's given you, and let Him build that energy and that that passion inside of you. If you're if you're really tired, you're depleted, all that, go to the Lord and spend some time with Him and let Him fill you first. Amen. Amen. Look around and say to yourself, "What breaks my heart?" prayerfully, like what really breaks my heart? Is that something that also breaks the heart of God? Um, whom, who, who else has God already called to address that in my community or in my country or around the world? And how can I align with them in some way, in some way? And start with prayer, right? Yep. I can actually pray at work, during work, for the things um, that are breaking my heart and about which I'm passionate. Yep. And prayer, prayer is not doing nothing. Prayer is doing something. Very good. That's all I, that's all I got on that. And hey, that's Bill what English. I got, too. <laughs> Thanks so much, my brother. I really appreciate it. We'll, uh, we'll talk to you again. Uh, we talk to you next week in the lead up to Thanksgiving. <gasps> yeah. Get I'm, ready. I'm get here ready. On We're going to do something. Okay, we'll get ready because it's the Thanksgiving show, now, basically. Oh, so, so Paul's going to have want, a turkey here I'm gonna in want, studio. Let me just tell you in advance I am going to want to know what is on your Thanksgiving table. And if you have like a signature dish, you're going to have to share the recipe. Oh, okay. I will. That's, that's I will. what we're going to be. Next, next Wednesday might just be cooking with Carmen. We'll just see. We'll just, okay. All we're right. going to cook something up. All right. Thanks, All right. man. All right. Take care. Bye. So we, we talk frequently about our need to talk across the aisle or around the dinner table, uh, particularly as the holidays approach, with people who disagree with us, particularly on political matters. And so how do we do that? 
how uh, are you planning to engage in um, bipartisan, nonpartisan, wow, conversation around the Thanksgiving table? Um, how are you going to deal with, um, process, enjoy the company of um, somebody who is vehemently opposed uh, to the way you think about things? So there are some some people who actually spend time doing this, like teaching us how to talk with one another. Um, and one organization is called Better Angels. And so John Wood and Donna Murphy from Better Angels are going to be here next. We're going to talk about how do they talk with each other across uh, dividing lines, uh, things that are the dividing lines of hostility between us often. Um, and then we're going to talk about how we could apply that just in our everyday, ordinary lives, and maybe even around your holiday table. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. When your teen is struggling, it's easy to start losing hope for a better future. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. Maybe your daughter hasn't spoke to you in weeks, or maybe your son just came home drunk for the second time this month. I don't know what crisis you're dealing with today, but I do know this. God can use any conflict or struggle to bring about positive change. Galatians 6 verse 9 says this, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. We may never know exactly how or when our struggles will end, but until then we can continue to trust in the one who promises to turn our ashes into beauty and make all things work together for good. Want more help from Mark Gregston? Find books and other resources online at parentingtodaysteens.org or search for Parenting Today's Teens in your favorite app store. Angels is a, a grassroots movement across the United States of America seeking to build a house united to, frankly, save our republic. Uh, this is an effort by people who would self-identify as conservative and others who would self-identify as liberal with a mutual commitment to find common ground and to genuinely listen and then engage with one another across our currently polarized landscape. Um, you can find it all at better-angels.org, better-angels.org. And joining me today, John Wood and Donna Murphy. Welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for having us. Good morning, Carmen. Good morning. All right, so I'm going to let each of you kind of self-identify and tell us um, why you are involved with Better Angels. John, go first. Okay, absolutely. Well, yeah, pleasure to be on uh, this morning. Um, so, yeah, so I am, and when you say self-identify, I assume you mean <laughs> politically speaking. So I am, uh, I am, uh, I'm a re registered Republican, definitely lean conservative, consider myself to be a, a person, a very much a person of faith. And um, my commitment to Better Angels comes from the fact that I really do believe that the future of America rests not so much on our relationships to the President of the United States or the Congress or your favorite cable uh, cable news pundit, uh, but to our relationships with our neighbors and our fellow American people, to the members of our family who vote like us and who do not vote like us. And if we don't pay attention to the health of those relationships, 
everything we build on top of it politically crumbles. And I feel like we're seeing that right now in the way the country is interacting because we are so distrustful of one another as Americans that we read a politics that gives us that exact same contempt in return. So that's the sort of problem that we're looking to fix. Donna? Sure. So I am lead organizer, uh, and I live in Fairfax, Virginia. Uh, My commitment began uh, in the summer of 2017 when uh, I was asked to organize a Red Blue workshop in Leesburg, Virginia. I am a Democrat, and although I have uh, conservative relatives up north, I, I had no red friends at all. And uh, so I, I had to, in order to organize this workshop, break out of my blue bubble and find both uh, conservatives and liberals to participate in this red-blue workshop. Uh, and I've been 110% involved in Better Angels ever since, and I'm a, a, a kind of a poster child for what Better Angels can do for people because mm-hmm. I went from having no conservative friends to having lots of conservative friends, uh, including uh, John Wood Jr., uh, who mm-hmm. I love to pieces. Uh, I, don't ag- I don't agree with my conservative friends on some of the issues, but I really respect them. And you could sit down and have table fellowship with them without there being a food fight or people all storming away from the table, angry and ruining Thanksgiving. Am I right? We have broken bread together many times. Yes. That's right. That's right. We try not to serve whole tomatoes on the table because it's easy to pick up and throw. But uh, no, but Donna's absolutely right. The The spirit of fellowship and friendship is real. So I, um, I am equally committed to this common ground approach to conversation, um, to depolarization. I also recognize that I have a greater challenge talking with rabid conservatives on my own side of the aisle than I do talking with liberals on the other side of the aisle. I, I find it more challenging to have civil discourse with people who are taking positions on my side of the aisle, but the position that they are taking is so far to the right of where um, I am. It, so, I don't know. Have either of you experienced that? And um, and could you help me? Have we got a <laughs> workshop for you, Carmen? It's called Depolarizing Within. And it's mm. all about how to, um, well, first of all, depolarizing yourself. But the second half of it is what to do when you're with um, your in-group, your tribe, as it were. Uh, and it's one thing to talk about policies with each other or, uh, and to, to denigrate policies um, on the other side or within your group. That's one thing. But when you go to the ad hominem attacks, like oh, those people are all raving morons, they're all idiots, right? Then mm-hmm. we, teach, we teach a process, and it's called LAPP. So you listen, you acknowledge, then you pivot and offer a new perspective. It's not easy, okay? We, we, we teach the skills, and, and especially we teach them so that you are not cast out from your own in-group, <laughs> viewed as a traitor, as it were, if you offer a different opinion. Uh, so it's, it's, uh, uh, but it's a great process to be able to pivot the conversation away from the rabid attacks. It is good that you make that point, Carmen, because when we think about the difficulty in sort of finding that kind of what we call patriotic empathy with the person on the other side of the aisle, uh, we, we, we do tend to sort of overlook the fact that the risk there is not just being judged by someone with a different opinion than you, but by someone with the same opinion who thinks that you shouldn't be you know, fraternizing with the enemy, so to speak, right? 
And so, yeah, that's absolutely something that 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 many of us uh, get in Better Angels. And I think uh, I think beyond, but ultimately, you know, it sort of goes to the importance of us being able to set the right example. Uh, again, not just for folks who disagree with us, but for our fellow kind of political and philosophical travelers, as it were, to sort of let folks know that, hey, it's not – you don't sell out your convictions, right, by demonstrating, honestly, in my opinion, a more Christ-like way of behaving towards folks on the other side. Uh, rather, you show the power of your moral point of view that you can hold it while still treating, uh, still treating your neighbor with dignity and respect. And if we can inspire people who think like us to behave in that way, uh, we take a massive step towards making this country a more perfect union. I appreciate that uh, one of the things you've already pointed out is our tendency to fall into, utilize, or um, abide the use of uh, these these fallacies like ad hominem attacks. I, I really appreciate that. We, we try to point those out um, here on the show when, you know, when we see them utilized. And, you know, I try to say, now, look, that's that's clearly not that's a straw man. That's clearly not an accurate representation of someone else's position in this. That's not the argument they would be making if they were here to make the argument themselves. Um, but I think that as and, and here, you know, I'll, I'll specifically just say as Christians, it's also dishonest. And so I, one of the things I really appreciate about the approach that you all are taking, because I would call um, that when you talk about like making listening, acknowledging, pivoting and then offering a new perspective, I think that I would just call that the way Jesus did almost everything. He asked good questions. He listened intently to people. He acknowledged um, the reality that they were living in. He then made a pivot toward a kingdom perspective um, and tried to really draw people into a different way of seeing themselves, the world around them, and the possibilities or opportunities available. I kind of call that reframing. Um, and I and so I love this model that, that you all are using, not only to help us see one another clearly as like fellow citizens and fellow image bearers, like, right, we all, everyone has the dignity of, of who they are and their own, uh, their thoughts and their convictions and their conscience, but then also very concrete, tangible, um, uh, what, what do we call them, practices, not just principles, but actual practices that we could use around the dinner table or in conversations with others in community and in work. We have to take a quick break, but let's continue this conversation in just a moment. Um, These representatives from Better Angels are here, John Wood Jr. and Donna Murphy. You guys can find them at better-angels.org. I'm inviting everyone um, into this effort to depolarize uh, our nation. So better-angels.org. We'll be right back. Continuing my conversation with representatives from Better Angels. Again, you can find it at better-angels.org. John Wood Jr. and Donna Murphy, again, thank you so much uh, for being with us today. Um, I'm going to invite uh, the two of you to talk about some, maybe maybe what's one thing that is offered through Better Angels that somebody listening right now could take hold of and utilize, um, you know, immediately in their own life, but then also maybe invite into their community uh, and or their church? Hmm. Well, I I have a quick answer for that, and it's piggybacking off of the last thing that, uh, the last thing that you said. You talked about the way Jesus communicated in the gospel, Carmen. 
the way he would frame things in a way that sort of invited invited uh, a higher level of conversation. And one thing you'll notice about Jesus in the gospel is that the way he communicates is by asking questions, you know? Uh, it's one of the ways you know that <laughs> Jesus is Jesus is the Son of God because rather than coming in and telling everybody how to think, he's actually asking questions, inviting people to think, right? And uh, in in our own context, in our own little way, that's exactly what we do in Better Angels Red Blue workshops. It's a very close part of what we do. We show people how to ask questions in a way to where, just say, for instance, if you're a red. You would, in talking to a blue, not say something along the lines of, well, why do you think the government should solve all your problems, but rather ask a question like, well, why do you see the role of government the way you do? And it may seem like a small tweak, but the difference in terms of the ability of that kind of communication to invite a real constructive dialogue that that becomes rooted in understanding is tremendous. And so in participating in our workshops and bringing them to your community as a moderator or an organizer – we find the opportunity, you bring the opportunity uh, to share these sorts of skills and this culture of communication with your family and your neighbors in a way that can move this, in a way that can move this republic forward. And I will also mention in our skills workshop uh, that we uh, teach skills on how to listen. Uh, so uh, I have to tell you, before I took that workshop, I would ask a question of someone on the other side, but I wouldn't listen to their answer. I'd be back inside my head thinking, okay, what am I going to say next that's just going to totally decimate them and show them they're entirely wrong, right? Well, that, and, and of course it doesn't work, right? So instead, we teach uh, paraphrasing. So you, you say something, you ask a question, and then you paraphrase what the person said back to them. Well, in order to do that, you've got to listen to them, right? You have to listen and then tell them back, I think what you're saying is, am I getting that right? Well, listening, my gosh, it's, it's, it's such a beautiful thing. Because when, and when you listen to them, they're more likely to listen to you. And it's a lot more respectful conversation. That's right. So I think that, um, you know, in terms of courses I took in seminary, uh, that would be called active listening, where mm-hmm. I am not just listening to gather, uh, you know, gather fodder for my uh, my attack, mm-hmm. uh, but that I'm going to listen in such a way that seeks to not only hear what you're saying, but hear the heart out of which you're saying it. And I think that mm-hmm. connects what you have said, Donna, with what um, uh, with what John just said, um, because it it occurs to me that if I'm asking a question that's not just open ended. But it's I'm asking a question that invites you to tell me a story about who you are and why you think the way you think. I I am going to begin to see you as something other than just, you know, flat red or flat blue. I am going to begin to see you as a multidimensional person, like as a real person. One hundred percent. No, that is absolutely, absolutely Correct, uh, Carmen. That's sort of the three-dimensional sort of nature of the type of conversations um, we build up at Better Angels, active listening and um, conscientious questioning. And within that, relationships and friendships unfold that defy what you thought was possible going into it. So it, it really is miraculous what it is we can build with each other in terms of a spirit of fellowship even in the midst of in, impeachment hearings and, and these political debates and all the nastiness that we see. Because at the end of the day, uh, you know, the, the, the love that God has put uh, in our hearts towards one another really is powerful enough to transcend our differences. And that's just what we see every day.
Mm-hmm. And one of the, my favorite questions that uh, going along with what Carmen said that we ask sometimes in Better Angels is, tell me an experience that has helped cause you to believe what you believe. Well, there you go. Now you're, when someone starts to talk about their lived experience, you just learn so much from them and about them. I'll, I'll never forget, I was in a workshop, I asked that question to someone who is a conservative, and she said, I grew up on a farm in North Dakota, and we had to be resilient, we had to be self-reliant, and so that's colored to how I view um, politics. And I got, and the light bulb went off in my head, and I said, wow, that's interesting, I didn't have that experience. And not having had an experience... Uh, that someone else has had can cause a blind spot, uh, mm-hmm. right? I, 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 I never grew up in an inner city, in a big city. I, you know, I, I, I happen to have two very loving parents who had plenty of money. Um, so there's certainly plenty of experiences I have not had um, that can cause blind spots in how I, I look at things. I think one of the things you're pointing out there, Donna, um, is I cannot – I really cannot assume anything going into a conversation about someone else's lived experience um, because the outward the outward um, signs that I might be getting about someone are not necessarily um, going to communicate today what that person has experienced along the way. Their genuine social location, their genuine uh, set of of principles and priorities and ideas and ideologies and history and all of that. I have to ask. I have to listen. I have to learn. I have to learn their story in order that I can understand why they think the narrative should be the way they think it should be um, in our nation today. Um, I am wondering if if the two of you, because we're we're out of time today, but I I I hope that we can continue to till the soil of this conversation. I think this is really uh, helpful demonstration to others about how to do exactly, this is modeling exactly what we hope people will do, which is listen to one another and learn how to ask good questions. I love the conscientious questioning uh, language. I'm going to totally steal that. Um, it's yours. <laughs> so, um, so we're going to direct people to better-angels.org. Better Angels is on Facebook. They're on Twitter. They're on Instagram. I would encourage you to connect with them where you're most comfortable doing so. But, but get connected. Get access to the resources. Invite Better Angels into the conversations in your community um, and use what they're offering to depolarize uh, this nation that we might indeed become this better union. Uh, you know, so thank you, John Wood Jr. and Donna Murphy. Thank you so much for being with us today and for what you do every day. You're most thank welcome. You, really appreciate it. We'll be right back. All right, so we are about out of time today. I'm thinking that I am going to write up uh, the conversation that we just had with the representatives from Better Angels and get it posted on the uh, the website. So if you go to My Faith Radio. Dot com and go to the Mornings with Carmen page. We uh, we actually post some things there in terms of not just the podcast, but some materials that you can then use to uh, to not only further equip yourself, but to equip others. So I'm thinking that for our Thanksgiving conversations, that that particular um, conversation might be really helpful. All right, you guys have a great day and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.